ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕೋಕಣ ನಮ್ಯಹಂ don't stand come and sit the chairs here so we were studying the 15 practices of vedantic meditation the one which we were doing last time is called drishti um h- how you control your vision seeing the way shankaracharya has approached it is first he has taken the terms from various yoga practices yoga is preeminently the science of meditation so he has taken the terms from yoga practices and then given them the advaitic meaning the non-dualistic vedantic meaning and uh, so for what we have been doing is first we see what is the original yoga practice and then we see what shankaracharya is saying is the non-dualistic um uh, approach so we have been doing that for every one of the practices drishti drishti simply means seeing now in uh, yoga drishti is fixing your eyes at one particular point the the point being if you want to meditate one of the things that can greatly disturb you is uh, what you are seeing if your eyes are open and looking at the world it's very difficult to concentrate on your object of meditation you're thinking about om and you look around and you think the home needs improvement <laughs> so from home to home you <laughs> therefore eyes have to be closed if you close your eyes you fall asleep or you your mind wanders off in daydreams into in in various thoughts so what the yogis arrived at was neither open your eyes completely nor close them completely half opened eyes that you get if you fix your eyes on the tip of your nose nasagravalokini so they fix the eyes uh, at the drishti the vision at at one point in fact in deep meditation sometimes yogis have that aspect vivekananda's picture is a classic example his eyes are actually very slightly open not that he's practicing that but it's very natural to him to him it used to happen here there are beautiful accounts of vivekananda teaching meditation patanjali yoga meditation raj yoga meditation in this vedanta society more than 100 years ago not in this building but um, uh, another building and the accounts are interesting he would sit there would be a peop- lot of people some in chairs some on on the mat um, uh, on the carpet some on the stairs staircase outside and so in the meditation classes he would come and give instructions and sit down to meditate himself and the room would pass into deep silence imagine meditating in the presence of vivekananda his meditation immediately goes into samadhi 15 minutes half an hour 1 hour 2 hours 3 hours 
and people sort of start shifting around a little bit um, and then they know, don't know what to do. They'll get up and slowly, one by one, they leave the room. When Vivekananda opens his eyes, finally, after maybe one or two or three hours, the room is empty and he would be embarrassed by that. <laughs> so drishti is to be fixed somewhere for the purpose of concentration. But what is Vedantic meditation? That's yogic meditation. What is Vedantic meditation? He says, you know Brahman, of course. But uh, he says, Drishtim Gyanamayam Kritwa Pashyed Brahmamayam Jagat. A beautiful expression. Make your Drishti vision, a vision of knowledge. Through the eye of knowledge, see the universe pervaded by Brahman. That is Vedantic vision. Through the eye of knowledge, see the universe pervaded by Brahman. In Hindu mythology, we have this concept, very common. Every little child knows about it, the third eye. So Shiva is supposed to have the third eye. And I remember reading comics in my childhood and reading stories about Shiva opening his third eye. And that would be a terrible thing if Shiva opens his third eye. What happens? Everything is burnt up. So it's like some kind of superpower. And when you know, Superman has what laser vision or something like that. So, when he uses that, everything is burnt up. So, Shiva is supposed to have a third eye like that. But the actual meaning of Shiva's third eye is it's the eye of knowledge. It's the eye of knowledge. How does the eye of knowledge help? Can everybody hear me at the back? Huh? Yes. The eye of knowledge, what knowledge? Brahman. So when you see everything as Brahman, that's equivalent to burning up the entire universe. Opening the eye of knowledge, see the universe pervaded by Brahman. Which means it's no longer samsara. Men and women, animals and birds, um, stars and planets, uh, quarks and quasars, all of them are names and forms, a net spread on the ocean of Brahman. This is equivalent to burning up the universe. There is no separate universe anymore. It's one ocean of Brahman. If you could actually do that, how do you do that? By opening the eye of knowledge. Seeing it through eye of knowledge. Where do I get this eye of knowledge? This is it. You are acquiring the eye of knowledge. So third eye of Shiva, you will see the depictions. Usually the eye is shown sort of vertically here. I remember in the beginning of my monastic life, I joined the order in our ashram in Deoghar, in Ramakrishna Mission Deoghar Vidyapit. It's a school for boys. So they're little boys. One day what happened was, in the morning I saw the boys from a particular hostel. They're all 10-year-olds. And all of them had this little bruise here. A little bruise here. So we investigated what happened. Why do all of you have it? And then, they, then it came out. The night before they went to bed, before they have strict lights off policy at 10 p.m. or something like that, you have to go to bed. And there are funny stories about that. Um, anyway, I'll come to a, I'll give you a funny story about that later. But first, are the eye of knowledge. So before going to bed, one of the boys told the other boys, you know, if you there's a technique for opening the third eye, and that's if you rub it like this, it's going to open. And all those little kids. They intensely kept rubbing their foreheads until they fell asleep. And next morning everybody had a little bruise to show for it. So they were trying to open the eye of knowledge. 
the eye of knowledge is not something physical here um, of course there's the agnya chakra here in in um, chakra meditation but what it means is this seeing the universe as brahman drishtim gyanamayam kritva completely irrelevant but let, since i am i mentioned it let me tell you a story about you know, you know the how difficult it is to make the children go to sleep those who are parents you know with little kids you know you don't have to tell us swami what do you know about it well i know about it because there were 40 kids and it is 40 little boys and all together in the dorm you can imagine how difficult difficult it would be to uh, persuade them to go to sleep so this very very elderly swami very gentle and very kind he was mumbling that oh the kids don't listen to me in my hostel whereas in the near, nearby hostel there was a strict swami and this elderly swami said that strict young swami see how everybody all the children listen to him he says um so he went and asked that swami how do you persuade the kids to go to sleep and this swami said i just say to them boys i'm going to count to 3 1 2 and 3 at the count of 3 i want you all in bed with your eyes eyes shut and i say 1 2 and the boys jump into bed and they cover pull up their bed sheets 3 and they've got their eyes shut and this elderly swami was impressed he said i should try it there's a continuous uproar in my hostel <laughs> at the time of bed in sometimes little children become more active when you <laughs> there's time for bed so the next day we asked what did it work and he said what do you mean work i said i said to the children boys i'm going to say 1 2 and 3 at the count of 3 i want all your eyes shut out all of you in bed and i said 1 and then i said 2 and the boys said 3 <laughs> and not one of them was in bed <laughs> so it's nice i guess it's not the technique it's it's the person who, who counts i remember trying one of those well the stories are really funny and now that i remember it that was 25 years ago the kids had to clean the hostel themselves sweep the hostel and the kids in my hostel were not doing it the senior swami scolded me can't you be strict scold them tell them to do it i thought they're not listening to me but maybe i can shame them into doing it so at the time when the time for sweeping came the, the kids were lying around relaxing and nobody was listening to me that come on come on you have to sweep the the hostel so i took up the broom and started sweeping it myself thinking that so they'll be shamed into joining me so the kids you know they, there was a stunned moment of stunned silence and there's this stared at me you know what is he doing and then they burst into applause this is the kind of hostel warden we want <laughs> <laughs> so i threw the broom down and stalked off in fury <laughs> so the eye of knowledge is when you see everything as brahman on drishti um shankaracharya has given two verses verse number 117 we have seen verse number 117 we'll see that drashtri darshana drishyanam drashtri darshana drishyanam viramo yatra va bhavet viramo yatra va bhavet 
ದೃಷ್ಟಿಸ್ತತ್ರವ ದೃಷ್ಟಿ see for this we have to know a little bit of epistemology and think what is epistemology epistemology is the, the the that branch of philosophy which deals with knowledge how do we know how do we know it requires three things a knower a knowable object and knowledge an instrument of knowledge or knowledge itself so for example here is a book and you can all see it so you are getting knowledge of the book that there is a book in the swami's hands now the book you are the knower and your eyes are the instrument of knowledge and the book is the object of knowledge in sanskrit pramata knower you are pramata your eyes are pramanam the source of knowledge or the instrument of knowledge and the book is object of knowledge prameyam pramata pramanam prameyam seer or the, the knower the instrument of knowledge or its functioning and the object of knowledge three this triad this triad in sanskrit is called triputi triputi means triad the three the, the three which are the basis of all epistemology of knowledge it need not just be seeing it could be hearing you are the hearer and you have ears which are functioning and you there's sound my voice so there is a knower there is knowledge and the object of knowledge it could be touch it could be smell it could be taste yeah. it could be a mathematical problem which you are thinking about the problem is the the um, object of knowledge and you are the knower and uh, the intellect which you are using is the instrument by which you are trying to understand it so it requires three things someone to know something to know and the knowledge itself triputi now what shankaracharya says the vedantic meditation drishti is the seers the seeing and the seen all three arise from one thing and you know it is brahman one consciousness alone with the mind appears as the knower the seer you that consciousness alone with the sense organs appear is the instrument of knowledge that consciousness alone with the name and form of this object is the object of knowledge so the object of knowledge the knower of uh, and the the instrument of knowledge all three are none other than they all originate from consciousness behind all three of them is consciousness knowing that the one consciousness is me the knower and the object of knowledge and the knowledge between all three are one consciousness that is drishti how do we understand that a very easy example is dream when in dreams suppose suppose you are um walking along the street and uh, you see 
a beautiful tree with the leaves falling in fall. Then suddenly you wake up. Then what will you say? Oh, the, the tree was nothing other than my mind. My mind conjured up the tree in dream. Me, the, body, the person who was seeing, that was also my mind. And the eyes with which I saw, that was also the mind. In the dream, we have a dream knower, a dream object of knowledge, and a dream instrument of knowledge. Dream seer, dream eyes, and not dreamy eyes, dream eyes, and a dream object which to, with which we are seeing. These three, so the triputi, the triad in a dream, is nothing other than your mind. Are you with me? That's an example. Exactly like that, here itself, everything, the triad that you see in every case of knowledge is nothing other than consciousness. If you keep that in mind when, whenever you have any kind of knowledge, whenever you are a knower and there is something to be known and you are using an instrument of knowledge, know that you are not the knower. That is not an instrument of knowledge apart from you. You are not using an instrument, that's not an object of knowledge apart from you. You are not using an instrument of knowledge to experience this. Rather, all three, I, this, and the consciousness, and the instrument I'm using to see this, all three are one consciousness, Brahman. If you keep your attention on that, that is Drishti. That is the Vedantic Drishti. You see, a fundamental difference between the yogic approach and the Vedantic approach is this. In the yogic approach, samsara is out there, prakriti, nature. Being involved in it involves me in samsara. So what do I have to do? I have to withdraw. Look at the yogic techniques, all of them, they involve withdrawal. Asana, sitting. Is meditation is possible in sitting? Not possible in walking around, running, driving? No, 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 no. Though there is a kind of walking meditation, but there the emphasis is not on walking, it's on meditation. So, meditation is possible while sitting. Stop all other activities. You can't have meditation while jumping around or dancing. Breathing. We'll come to that next. Calm breathing is required. Excitable breathing, can't you have meditation? No, 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 no. You have to stop that. You have to change the breathing to calm breathing. There's a spe spe special type of breathing which, is, which you generate through pranayama, which is useful for meditation. Then you have to withdraw the senses. You see, drishti, fix the vision here at the tip of the nose or close your eyes. Can't I see, look around? Can't I hear lots of things? Can't I speak? Can't I talk? Uh, no, you can't do that. So all of this, you see, the tendency is to withdraw, withdraw. Can't I be with a hundred people talking with them and working with them and meditating? No, 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 it's not possible. You must be alone. Or you at least must be undisturbed. So, yogic meditation is withdrawal. It depends on withdrawal. Because engagement with the world is disturbing. It's not meditation. Prakriti, it catches you in samsara. And that prakriti enters our mind and sets up agitation in the mind, movements of the mind. This movement of the mind is called Chitta Vritti. What is it called? Chitta Vritti. Chitta Vritti means any kind of movement of the mind. You see a book, it generates a book Vritti in the mind. You taste a cookie, it generates cookie taste Vritti in the mind. 
You think of Om, it generates an Om Vritti in the mind. Think You're thinking of Krishna, that means there is a Krishna Vritti in the mind. So everything, the whole world enters into you as Chitta Vritti, movement of the mind. And what is Yoga? Yoga is cessation of Chitta Vritti, calming down all the Chitta Vritti. The definition of Yoga, the second Yoga Sutra, Yoga Chittavritti Nirodha. You are yogis. Yoga Chittavritti Nirodha. Cessation of the vrittis of the mind is Yoga. But Vedantic approach, what is being taught here is, is not like that. Whether with eyes closed or with eyes open. Is Brahman not there? Sri Ramakrishna is to say, what kind of God is it which who's there when I'm closed my eyes? If I open my eyes, no God. What kind of God is it? Depends on opening and closing the eyes? No. With eyes open also God is there. When I'm sitting quietly in meditation, Brahman is there or not? Yes. When I'm working outside, driving, cooking, running, jogging in the park or whatever, is Brahman there or not? Of course. It's one non-dual reality, inside and outside. If you withdraw inside, you find Brahman. If you go outside and you're working and with people and talking, you find Brahman. So Vedantic meditation, you will see in all of these cases, it's not a question of withdrawal. It's rather a question of wherever you are, inside or outside, a question of seeing it as Brahman. It's a question of knowledge and ignorance. Yoga is often a question of distraction and concentration. Disturbance and calmness. A disturbed mind is calmed, yoga. Scattered mind is concentrated, yoga. Ignorance we see the world, in knowledge we see Brahman, that is Vedanta. To persist in the knowledge of Brahman, that is Vedantic meditation. All the practices if you see, whatever we have done so far, all of them you see this principle, this is the difference. Now, Next practice, pranayama, very popular. In all the yoga schools everywhere you will see asana and pranayama. Asana the different yogic postures and pranayama, breathing. In Patanjali yoga, ashtanga yoga, eightfold yoga. What are they? Yama, niyama, asana, pranayama. So fourth practice in ashtanga yoga is pranayama. Then Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. What do they mean? First, the Yama and Niyama, the moral practices. Then Asana, sitting, posture. Third one is, uh, fourth one is breathing, Pranayama. Pranayama means control of the Prana. Prana, Ayama, control of the Prana. Then fifth one is Pratyahara, withdrawing the senses from outside. Sixth one is Dharana, focusing on something. Seventh one is meditation. So meditation is not an easy thing. Meditation is the seventh of the eight limbs of yoga. And the eighth one is the deepest meditation possible, Samadhi. Anyway, that's Patanjali Yoga. So that Pranayama, Shankaracharya refers to here. First of all, we shall see as we do the basic practice and then the advanced practice. First the yogic practice and then the Vedantic practice. What is the basic practice? The yogis discovered one thing. If you want to meditate and calm down your mind, 
certain things are helpful certain things are not helpful for example sitting still is helpful moving around not helpful so they will they discovered particular postures for sitting not just sitting still in any particular posture like this there are particular postures asanas suitable for meditation what else did they discover for example we just read drishti keeping the eyes fixed that is helpful for meditation keep looking around not helpful for meditation what else did they discover a huge discovery very big discovery was breath is connected to the mind breath is connected breathing <sighs> breathing in breathing out is connected to the mind how they noticed that when the breathing is agitated mind is also agitated when the mind is agitated breathing is agitated you are excited angry furious eh? you see breathing is faster short and jerky and fast you are tired exhausted or feeling sick you will see breathing is heavy slow maybe sometimes faster sometimes in fever breathing is shallow and fast you're concentrated you will find breathing is even and calm automatically now what the yogis thought was if you want to concentrate and calm down the mind difficult to fight with the mind directly start with the breath and they discovered something remarkable if you control the breath mind is controlled breathe deeply and evenly and they have techniques for this a few cycles of that you will see mind becomes calm even three deep breaths will calm your mind for for the while for a while so breathing is connected to the mind catch hold directly to catch hold of the mind is difficult subtle but you can catch hold of the breath catch hold means you can control the breath you can control the in breath you can control the holding of the breath you can control the release of the breath so they developed breathing techniques proper breathing and then they discovered not only for meditation breathing is connected deeply to the health of the body you see pranamaya and annamaya annamaya is physical body pranamaya is the vital body breathing is part of the pranamaya the vital body so if you control the breathing and the breathing is proper and healthy it will have a healthful effect on the physical body they discovered different techniques of breathing can cure diseases and it's not a strange because diseases are a are a feature of the malfunctioning of the vital forces in the body of the prana in the body of the flow of prana so flow of prana cannot be directly controlled but if you control the breathing the flow of prana in the body is also controlled the yogis found this out so they developed a variety of techniques pranayama is a vast subject yesterday we had a well known yogi visiting from india a master of hatha yoga pandit radhesham mishra ji so he is uh, the the master of the ujjain school of yoga very old school of yoga in india so he visited us yesterday and he was telling me that he wrote a book on breathing 770 pages he was telling me it hardly sold in a few copies but nobody is interested you would think people are interested in breathing you think what is there to learn about breathing i know breathing i am breathing all the time no you are not one of the early masters to come out from india to teach hatha yoga in usa ayengar i think is lights on yoga probably um 
either that book, the three great masters who came in the early part of the 20th century, Iyengar was there, then Krishnamacharya and Pattabhi Joyce. So they formed, they are at the source of the various schools of Hatha Yoga which are popular throughout the West now. One of them, I think it was Iyengar, he said, my first interaction with Westerners was taught, showed me something interesting. What? They are hardly breathing at all. And remember, that was a long time ago, before our, our hectic, hyperactive times. Even at that time, he said, they were hardly breathing at all. They were using only a part of their lung capacity. They are so tense, the clothes they wear, the posture they hold, and they get into bad habits of breathing. So they are not breathing properly, unless they are taught how to do that. Breathing is necessary for, for every, you know, any kind of physical activity, whether it's sports. Breathing is necessary for living also. It's highly recommended. But <laughs> sports and singing and anything, athletics, dancing, all of that, you need to learn breathing all over again. So he would give special emphasis on breathing lessons again. Pranayama has a variety of techniques for breathing, many, many techniques. So it's a vast science in itself. To make the asanas more effective in Hatha Yoga, they also have pranayama along with them. In fact, these three are very important. Asana, of course, pranayama and bandha. We also did bandha, the locks. This is Hatha Yoga. Basic practice of pranayama, they have three terms. Puraka, breathing in. Kumbhaka, holding the breath. Rechaka, releasing the breath. So breathing in. Holding, releasing. Now, the holding can be internal when you breathe in and hold your breath. And the holding can be external when you breathe out and keep it out for a while. So the technique is this. It's performed in every ritual or before meditation. You can do that. I'm not teaching you. By the way, one thing is pranayama should be learned from an expert. Pranayama should never be practiced from books or casually like that. Because it can have dangerous effects. Pranayama is one thing which can have serious um, side effects if it's not practiced properly, if it's not learned from a good yoga teacher. I had a friend who lost his mind because he, he practiced uh, uh, sophisticated systems of pranayama without the proper uh, routine, diet and discipline. Later on he recovered, but it was a great lesson. So there are people who have lost their minds or they have got diseases because they practiced pranayama improperly. So with that caution, what is the technique? The basic technique is this, is um, you close the right nostril like this and breathe in four counts. Mentally you can count one, two, three, four or four ohms. Om, om, om. Don't say it mentally. Then you hold like this for 16 ohms or 16 counts. So 4, 16, then you release with the right nostril for 4 counts, no, 8 counts. So if you breathe in for 8, hold for 16, release for 8. Breathe in for 4, hold for 16, release for 8. 4, 16, 8. The ratio should be like that. And then you breathe in from the right nostril for 4 counts, hold for 16, and then release for 8 again. So in four counts, hold 16 counts, release eight counts. That's the basic pranayama. 
and then they multiply more and more and more so the breathing becomes longer and deeper and deeper you can hold for 64 counts don't try it unless you are an expert in pranayama so this is the basic technique breathing in holding letting go that is yoga what does shankaracharya have to say about it you know well in advance he's going to say it is brahman <laughs> let's see what shankaracharya says he devotes three verses to it wonderful practice the advaitic practice of pranayama ಹಂಡ್ರೆಡ್ಸರ್ವೃತ್ತೀನಾಂ ಪ್ರಾಣಾಯಾಮಸೌಚ್ಯತೆ ಪ್ರಾಣಾಯಾಮಸೌಚ್ಯತೆ ರೆಸ್ಟ್ರೆಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಲ್ ದಿ ಮಾಡಿಫಿಕೇಶನ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಬೈ ರಿಗಾರ್ಡಿಂಗ್ ಆಲ್ ಮೆಂಟಲ್ ಸ್ಟೇಟ್ಸ್ ಲೈಕ್ ದ ಚಿತ್ತ ಆಸ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮನ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ಇಸ್ ಕಾಲ್ಡ್ ಪ್ರಾಣಾಯಾಮ ಸೆಸೇಷನ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಮಾಡಿಫಿಕೇಶನ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಚಿತ್ತ ವೃತ್ತಿ ನಿರೋಧ ದಟ್ಸ್ ದಿ ಗೋಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಯೋಗ ವಿಚ್ ವಿ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಡಿಸ್ಕಸ್ಡ್ ವಿ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಡಿಸ್ಕಸ್ ದಿಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಯು ವಾಟ್ ಆರ್ ಯು ಟ್ರೈಂಗ್ ಟು ಡೂ ಇನ್ ಯೋಗ ಸೆಸೇಷನ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಲ್ ದಿ ಮಾಡಿಫಿಕೇಶನ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಮೈಂಡ್ the mind the thoughts which come up in the mind calm down those modifications that is yoga right you are with me now what he is saying is the real chitta vritti nirodha is not to shut down the mind but to regard everything in the universe everything in the universe including the mind and the modifications of the mind as brahman so not only no thought when you have thoughts also about what about anything those thoughts are also brahman internal and externally it is brahman alone the chitta the mind itself is brahman when you think of any thought whatever you think about that is brahman so every thought that arises in the mind is brahman every object outside is brahman everything there you yourself are brahman this keeping this knowledge in view this is the real pranayama chittadi sarvabhavanam everything that arises in your awareness is brahman swami virajananda who was president of the order he used to say when i look at the world the entire world including the body and mind everything is revealed at once to my awareness so either i am all of it or i am none of it the agyani the ignorant person thinks i am this much where do i stop i stop at the tip of my finger i am all inside this is me outside this barrier of the skin is not me me not me me and you hmm different now the gyani thinks all of this is me brahman or none of this is me the gyani can say equally i am not i'm not the world obviously i'm not the body i'm not the mind i'm not the intellect all of that i'm not panchakosha the annamaya pranamaya manomaya vijnanamaya anandamaya i'm none of that i am the witness consciousness of all of these 
And they are false appearances and the one real consciousness. You can say that. Or the Jnani can say, I am all of them. I am the mind too, I am the breath too, I am the body too, I am the world, I am the universe too. How? All of them are nothing but pure consciousness with names and forms. How does that work? The water in the ocean can say that I am not the wave, I am not the bubble, I am not the spray, I am not the, um, the, 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 you know, the surf. What am I? I am water. Or the water can say, I am the wave, I am the bubble, I am the surf, I am the spray. Is it not true? Are you following me? Is it not true? The water is everything. Yes. And other than the water, is there any wave? Is there any bubble? Is there any surf? Is there any spray? No. Similarly, you the consciousness are none of this. There are appearances in you, they exist in you, they disappear in you. Or you can say, you the consciousness are all of this. Take the dream example. Everything you see in the dream, everybody you see in the dream, including yourself in the dream, Every experience that happened in the dream, dream, everything that you ate and you heard and you saw, all of that is false. They are appearances. They are dream. Or you can say, I alone am all of them. Both are true. What is not true is what, it, what seemed in the dream. What did it seem like in the dream when you were not aware it's a dream? When you were dreaming the dream, it seemed like another waking experience. I am this much and they are all separate from me. If at this moment you suddenly sit up on your bed, then what will you think? Oh, I was dreaming of the Vedanta class. The Vedanta society and the, and the Swami and the lecture and me too sitting on the chair and see all of that was my mind. True. So he says, all of this is Brahman. So this is real pranayama. How do you practice it? He will tell you what is breathing in. Very nice practice. What is breathing in? What is breathing out? What is holding the breath? In Advaita, not in yoga. See. 119. Nishedhanam prapanchasya Nishedhanam prapanchasya Recha kakya samirina, Recha kakya samirana, Brahmevasmiti ya vritti, Brahmevasmiti ya vritti, Purako vayuri rita, Purako vayuri rita, Tatas tadvritti naishchalyam, Tatas tadvritti naishchalyam Kumbhaka prana sangyamam Kumbhaka prana sangyamam Ayam chapi prabuddhanam Ayam chapi prabuddhanam Agyanam grana pedanam Agyanam grana pedanam He says, now what is breathing in? He says, breathing in, what is breathing out, what is holding the breath? He says, 
the negation of the phenomenal world is breathing out. The thought that I am Brahman is breathing in. And holding that thought, thought that I am Brahman is called holding the breath. This is the pranayama of the enlightened. And the other one is torturing the nose. <laughs> this is a humorous little mischievous tweak he puts at the end. The, what the others are doing, this one. This is torturing the nose. Grana pedanam. You're just in, inflicting suffering on the nose. That, that, that's <laughs> twisting the nose. So this is the uh, pranayama of the enlightened. It reminds me of a story. Um, Swami Subodhananda, Koka Maharaj, who is a disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, direct disciple. That's his picture there. He used to be in Belur, but he was simple like a boy, so his name was Koka. Koka means little boy. Um, he was in Belur, and it was his practice to go to the veranda near Swami Vivekananda's room, upstairs, those who have seen uh, Belur, and sit there facing the Ganges, the river, and he would read the Adhyatma Ramayana there. That's the spiritual version of the Ramayana. So one day he was doing that, and this was seen and narrated by Swami Shraddhananda, who was the Swami in the, the Sacramento Center, long ago, in the 1950s, 60s, uh, up to, he passed away in the 90s, probably, 90s, yes. So that Swami, he saw this, and he narrated it to others. He said that he, he saw Kokamara sitting upstairs there, and reading something, looking up and laughing. Then he's re again reading something and looking up and laughing. So this Swami could not restrain his curiosity anymore. He went upstairs and he asked, Maharaj, what are you reading? What are you seeing? And why are you laughing? So he said, you know, Shraddhanandaji's name was Bimal. You know Bimal, I'm reading here that the world is false. Jagat Mithya. What does Vedanta teach? Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya. Brahman alone is real, the world is false. I am reading that the world is false. And I look up and I see everything is a mountain of ashes. Then I again read the book and it says Brahman alone is real. And I look up, everything, the river, Calcutta, everything in front of me, everything is Sri Ramakrishna. He saw Sri Ramakrishna as Brahman. Everything is Sri Ramakrishna. When I read when I, when I have the jnana, the, the understanding that the world is an appearance, I see everything is a mountain of ashes. Ashes means nothing, valueless, false, appearance. And I burst into laughter. Again, this book tells me everything is Brahman. And I look up and truly everything is Sri Ramakrishna, everything is Brahman. That's why I again burst into laughter. It's the same thing. How does it work? When you look at the rope and the snake, see it as the snake? False, false, it's not real, there's no such thing as a snake. See it as the rope? Real, it's a, it's a, it's a rope. It's like seeing various jewels, bracelets, necklaces, rings. They're all names and forms. You can see them as different ornaments. Or you can see them as one gold. The difference is, you don't have to do anything to your eyes. It's not like, you know, they put on 3D specs and you see a movie in 3D. You don't have to put on 3D specs. You only have to put on Vedanta specs. 
Vedanta glasses. Oh, somebody told me, don't say specs in USA, say glasses. Vedanta glasses. Put on Vedanta glasses and you will see the world as Brahman or you will see the world as an appearance. Both are true. What Shankaracharya is saying, seeing the world as an appearance that is breathing out. Breathe out the world. And then breathe in, I am Brahman. A vast ocean of existence consciousness bliss. Outside and inside, that I am, I am this Brahman that's breathing in. And steady yourself in that knowledge, I am Brahman that's holding the breath. If you can't hold the breath too long, you have to let it out, world is, I'm breathing out the world. Breathing in, I am Brahman. Stay there. So, that is Vedantic Pranayama, non-dual Pranayama. Everything inside and outside is Brahman. A vast ocean of existence, consciousness, bliss. You see, if, it, if Brahman, God is something somewhere else, you have to go there. God is in heaven, you have to go to heaven. Or if God is somewhere else, some other time, not now, some other time, then you have to wait. After death, after Samadhi, after the second coming of the Christ, then only I will meet. So you have to wait. If God is someone other than you, you have to meet God and make friends with Him, God, and have a relationship with God. But Vedanta says, God is here, everywhere and here. If God is here, where do you have to go? God is now, all the time and now, eternal and now. If God is now, what will you wait for? God is you. Whom do you want to meet and make friends with? That reality which is here and now and you, what do you have to do to get that reality? Nothing, only, only you need to recognize it, you need knowledge. Hmm. Once you realize that, inside and outside, with eyes closed and with eyes open, you see that same reality. This is, this is the teaching of Vedanta. Little difficult to get, but once you get it, it's, it's remarkable. Here you have to get it. In yoga you have to do something. You have to hold your breath. You have to breathe in, breathe out, hold your breath. That's a technique of pranayama. And that's used for calming the mind. Remember, it's not a criticism of yoga. Does the yogic pranayama work? Certainly. There's no doubt about it. You try it, just three rounds of pranayama, your mind will calm down. But does it give you nirvana? Does it give you moksha? Does it settle all your problems of samsara? Does it take you beyond suffering? No. No. Yes. So Swami, if I apply the principle, just as an example to the dreamer in the dream world. Yes. The dreamer just hypothetically thinks, okay, this world is not real, it's a dream world. Hmm. It's not real. At the same time, I am the dream world and I am a dreamer. Uh, just a minute, one thing here, complete the whole example. This world is a dream, it's not real, 
then this body is also part of the dream not real this mind is also part of the dream not real the the one who is sleeping and dreaming this the waker who is now sleeping and dreaming that one is real so that what the dreamer can think that in the dream the person can think that now go on yes but even let's say even if the dreamer does that how would that wake him or her up from the dream and that would just be a thought inside the dream anyway. true true that would be a thought inside the dream but that thought is that thought is um, a thought about the truth isn't it the truth right first of all what it will do is if, if that person can hold on to that intensely can that person can then do this practice what is the practice breathing out this entire world is an appearance it's a dream including this body including this mind including all my problems that dream problems so all the achievements in the dream all the problems in the dream all the suffering in the dream and all the enjoyment in the dream what will it become for that person entertainment no problem at all first of all there when it thinks that all of it is a dream that is what shankaracharya calls breathing out and he thinks breathes in himself what is breathing in i am all of it they are all appearances but then what are they they are none other than me the actual dreaming mind i am all of that hold on to that holding on to that thought staying in that thought is holding the breath according to this practice and if you do that actually in a dream usually the consequences you snap out of it first of all it's a reflection of the truth that it's a thought about the truth that would be a practice like a vedantic meditation here also what happens is exactly that what vedanta is doing is exactly that i'm glad you brought it up what does vedanta do so sometimes the question is if the atman pure consciousness is beyond the body and beyond the mind but all of this vedanta is in the mind isn't it at least the yogi is honest the yogi is saying i'm trying to control the mind and calm down the mind correct and that's what he's doing but here you are saying you are beyond the mind a witness of the mind and yet you are continuously you are dealing with the mind only intellect correct what is done by this what exactly does vedanta do the vedanta teaches you about the real self the background reality the, the chaitanya consciousness whom does it teach the mind in the mind a vritti a thought it's a thought thought about your real nature atman is generated how is it generated by this study you are all of us you are thinking hopefully we are all thinking about what could be the witness of the mind you are generating a thought about that witness consciousness where in the mind itself moment you generate that what what is that witness consciousness everything nothing in this universe is apart from that witness consciousness everything is happening in that witness consciousness i too am that witness consciousness then this thought too is that witness consciousness what happens then is all difference is falsified i'm using a technical term in sanskrit in, in vedanta the term is badhita badhita means sublated falsified earlier what was happening i am a person here is a body here is a mind the mind is thinking about vedanta here is the world swami is teaching me about vedanta but now when i begin to think about it the thought is this body this mind this thought the swami the world all of this 
is one consciousness and I am that, then everything is falsified in that. They all become appearances in that consciousness. And you stay with that idea that I am that consciousness. That idea also is that consciousness. With an idea, name and form. The body is also that consciousness with body, name and form. Mind is also that consciousness with mind, name and form. The external world, sights, sounds, smells, touch, taste, they are also that same consciousness with the different names and forms. That is realization. There will be a distinct shift. So is it just a kind of intellectual breakthrough? It may seem like that. In the path of knowledge, that's the first step. But it's not just an intellectual breakthrough. It's a real breakthrough as real as snapping out of a dream into waking. Only here, you will not suddenly sit up in a bed. Here you are, I was in the world, now I am in a bed. Brahman is the bed, I am sitting in the bed, I am woken up. No, no, nothing like that. Here itself. But you have awakened. You have awakened from waking. This is waking world. There you awaken from a dream. I will come to you. You are awakened from waking. Very good point. The question was, just in like a dream, if I think it's a dream, it's a thought in the dream. But that thought in the dream, first of all, it is about the truth. Second, that thing holding on to that will snap you out of the dream. Hmm. Vedanta functions exactly like that. Very good. Yes. Seeing Brahman in others and around them, <coughs> is that can be called an experience? And then another question I have is, do we just infer that or do we actually experience? Actually, the two questions you have asked. She's asking, seeing Brahman in others and everywhere and yourself. Is it an experience or do we infer that? What you're asking is, is it some kind of understanding or knowledge or do we actually experience something? Both are true. First of all, in the path of knowledge, it will seem that what we're talking about is a kind of understanding. Correct. It's a kind of understanding. But let me tell you, when you actually get it, it will seem like at least for the first flash, when you get it, a tremendous experience, an earth shattering experience. A, a life-altering experience forever. It's before and after. It's knowledge. It's a breakthrough. But it's not just understanding. It's a clear before and after experience. So you can call it an experience also. It will be a knowledge, but the knowledge itself is more powerful than any experience. All experiences after that will be in that awareness. It's, it's profound. Hmm. Does that, yes, does that answer your question? We don't infer it. Inference is, I see some data, then I have some understanding on the basis of that, I infer. But it's not that I've read it and then I have understood something on the basis of that I'm inferring. So therefore, implies, in mathematics you do, implies that I am Brahman. No, no, not like that. That will not help us. That will be a nice philosophical conclusion. Hmm. Yes, there's a question. How do we apply this principle that sometimes whatever you see in the dream or some other people see in the dream comes out the fact, the truth, the dream becomes true? So sometimes what you see in the dream is true. You, what she's asking, if, I write, if I'm right, is that um, you seem to be saying, Swami, what you see in a dream is false. But sometimes you, what you see in a dream is true. All right. There are many veteran Vedantists here. 
Now I'm going to outsource the question. Can anybody respond? What is Vedanta's answer to that question? Anybody? Hmm? But she's saying that sometimes what you see in the dream turns out to be true. When you wake up, then, huh? All right. She's saying, who is dreaming? Can anybody expand on that? What is Vedanta interested in? The dreamer, not the dream itself. Okay, let me deal with it, the question. This question sometimes comes up. When, you, when Vedanta keeps comparing this world to a dream, in order to prove that, just like a dream is false, this world of appearance, it's an appearance, it's false. But somebody might have, it, it might grate in your mind, like she is asking this question. Wait a minute, wait a minute, you're assuming that dreams are always false. But sometimes dreams are true. That's what you're asking? Yes, and many people have experienced it. Now, let, let us look, look closely at that. When you say dreams are true, what does it mean? Something you saw in the dream actually happened. When? In the waking life. Correct? You're with me so far? Something I saw, I met somebody in the dream and lo and behold, next morning that person out of the blue arrives and I meet this person who I have not met for 20 years maybe. Right, something like that happens. Something remarkable happens, which I saw clearly in the dream and actually it happened. Now let me ask you, Vedantins are spoil sports. <laughs> you saw something in a dream, then it happened in your waking life. After that you say the dream is true. Suppose it had not happened in your waking life, would you say the dream is true? A dream you are saying is true only if it is repeated in the waking life. Not in itself. What do you mean by true? Something happens in the waking life. You have come to the Vedanta society. Right? Do you have to come again to the Vedanta society to say that I came to the Vedanta society? No. Because in the waking life, if it happens once, it is true. In the dream, it is not so. Suppose it happened only in the dream and did not happen in the waking life, you would say it's only a dream, it's not true. That means for something to be true, where does it have to happen? In the waking state. Even you will admit, in the waking state it has to happen. Then only I will say that dream was true. So when I say the dream is true, what do I mean? I mean, I got an indication in the dream which was fulfilled in the waking life. Correct? If it had not matched, then I would have said the dream is only a dream. So something in the dream indicated something in the waking life. That is possible. And that Vedanta does not deny. But that does not make the dream true. I'll tell you another story, very interesting story. Swami Nirvanananda, he was a disciple of Swami Brahmananda and a close sevak of Swami Brahmananda. I had seen him when I was a little boy. Swami Brahmananda blessed him that in this very life you will be a Brahmagyani enlightened. He became finally the, the vice president of the Ramakrishna order and used to stay in Belurmat in the room next to Swami Vivekananda's room, that room. That's where I saw him when I was a little kid. So, now there's a story about him. He was a mystic, given to visions and experiences. There's a story about him. One of his sevaks, attendants, when he was a very senior monk, vice president of the order, um, 
one day in the morning he woke up and he said to the attendant you know last night swami brahmananda came to me his guru swami brahmananda came to me and uh, um, asked me is to call, swami brahmananda is to call him shudji his name was shudjo maharaj so shudji shudji have you seen you have not been to japan right i said no swami i have not been to japan come with me to japan so he took me to japan remember it's all of this happening in a dream our so called dream he took me to japan and then we went to this big shop huge um, shopping mall and then those days india did not have shopping malls so and he described it and there brahmananda said take anything you want and then i said i, I don't need anything but well you have to take something take something and then i thought i these pair of shoes it was a pair of slippers you know like the cozy slippers you wear in in the house you wear in your washroom or something comfortable i chose that and so swami brahmananda got that for me and we came back and now i am here and the sevak the attendant said ah maharaj now you're caught where are the pair of slippers it was just a dream and he said no no it's not a dream i actually got it but where are the pair of slippers you have said something which i can verify there's no there's no pair of japanese slippers here he smiled swami nirvananda smiled and chuckled you know he said there is and this sevak said i won't believe it until i see it now the morning a swami who was coming from the united states one of the swami from one of our vedanta societies was visiting india belurmat he had just arrived that night late in the night so he came to bow down to swami nirvanananda he said maharaj i've come from such and such vedanta society i think from the seattle vedanta society i've come from there and uh, on the way we stopped in japan in tokyo and i went to this uh, the devotees took me to this shopping mall and thought i should get something for you uh, so i bought this pair of slippers for you and here is a pair of slippers and so i mean nirvananda looked at the attendant and you know hmm. <laughs> now what do you say to that she will say ah the dream came true so the dream is true but the vedantin will say the slippers actually had to arrive hmm. it's not that in the dream that he got the slippers otherwise there would be two pairs of slippers <laughs> the slippers have to arrive in your waking state then only you will say that the dream was true so the dream was indicative of a reality that's happening in the waking state so dreams are always whether they indicate something in the waking state or not dreams in themselves are always false so that's why i said vedanta is spoiled sport <laughs> sometimes dreams may indicate something that will happen in the waking state okay that's only point number 1 but the more important point is whether it happens or does not happen what is the thing that vedanta is trying to say vedanta is not interested in the contents of your dream your therapist is interested in the contents of your dream will draw all sorts of conclusions about your dream therapist wants to know what did you dream about Vedanta is interested in the witness of the dream the one who sees the dream 
And Vedanta says the one who sees the dream is the one who is seeing the waking state, is the one who sees the darkness of deep sleep. That one unchanging consciousness Vedanta is interested in and says, Sa Atma, that is the Atma, that has to be realized. Do you follow what I'm saying? Not only that is the Atma, that Atma alone is everything in your waking state. It is everything in your dream state and it is also the potential samsa, the potential jagat in your deep sleep, the darkness of your deep sleep state. That is Vedantic Pranayama. In contrast, and, and when you have that conviction, that understanding, stabilize yourself in that. Stabilizing yourself in that is called Jnana Nishtha, stability in knowledge. Live like that. It's a wonderful way of living. Your life will be pervaded by freedom and bliss. No matter what happens in life. You'll be fully functional. In, in yogic meditation you cannot be functional. You have to withdraw and sit down and meditate inside. In Vedantic meditation you are fully functional. Brahma arpanam brahmavi brahma agno brahmanahutam brahmaivatena gantavyam brahma karma samadhina We chant that before food. But what it means is, the one who sees Brahman in every action doesn't tell you to stop the action and sit and hold your breath. No. You can breathe normally, you can act normally, you can go around the world doing whatever you want to do. You see in everything in the world, in every action, you see Brahman. Just like in, in the dream, every action you perform in the dream is nothing but the dreamer's mind itself. Uh, your consciousness, that is also not the correct word, you are consciousness. We must go from this idea that I am a body with consciousness to the idea that I am consciousness in which a body appears. And then what is that body? Is it a separate body appearing in consciousness? The Vedanta is saying no, the body itself is also conscious, is consciousness. Hmm. According to Vedanta, consciousness itself is real, that is Brahman. But Maya, which produces the world, actually, this might sound strange to a Vedantin, Maya is also consciousness. Nothing but consciousness. And the five elements produced by Maya, space and fire and air and water and earth, they are also consciousness. And the worlds constructed by these five elements, our bodies, what we eat, and the universe constructed by quarks and atoms and electrons and protons and neutrons, that's also consciousness, with name and form, with, with that particular name and form. Name and form is also ultimately consciousness, in a manner of speaking. Yes. Staying in that knowledge is, he says, holding the breath. That is equal to staying in that knowledge. There was somebody who raised his hand. You have a question? I'm a little confused about the idea of truth. Yes. Yes. Okay, how do you define truth in Vedanta? That's a uh, good philosophical question. Vedanta, there's a long discussion on this. 
Satyatvam, truth. When you say Brahman is true, world is false, immediately question will arise, what do you mean by true? What do you mean by false? You might think we know, but actually we don't know. If you investigate what is truth, you will see it's not so easy to determine. There are, I've seen books, which are six to seven hundred pages, uh, you know, in philosophy books. The title is Truth. If you go through all of that, you still don't get to the truth. So what is the truth? Let me contrast um, three, three um, definitions of truth in Indian philosophy. First, I'll give you a Nayaika definition of truth. I'll give you a Buddhist definition of truth. And then I'll give you the Vedantic definition of truth. Very quickly, we have run out of time. One definition of truth is, if my knowledge, what I know, corresponds to the reality, then it is true. The snake and rope is false because it was a rope and my knowledge was it was a snake. So it's, it's false. The, the snake which I saw is a false snake. But if I see the rope as a rope, it's true. If I see the rope as a snake, false. My knowledge is false. Right? My knowledge can be false. My knowledge can be true. What is the truth? It's a rope. What is, the, what is false? It's a snake. Correspondence with the reality outside. This is the definition of the truth. It's called the correspondence uh, definition of truth. Sounds nice? No, it doesn't work. Why? Exactly, dream. You saw a tree. And you say, you go near and check it out, it's a tree, it works, everything is fine. So, true. I am seeing a tree. But the moment you sit up in your bed and th saw that it was all a dream, it, then you get correct, you, you correct it. It was all in my mind. There wasn't a tree. So it corresponded nicely. But when you get up, there's no tree. You were just dreaming. It's something in your mind. I mean, we can put it even more starkly. You take a flight to Delhi, you fly out of Liberty International, you go to Delhi and uh, you, uh, you do whatever you want to do and then you come back and all of that and you suddenly wake up and you realize you've been dreaming. So you did not actually go to Delhi. What seemed to be true that yes, I went to Delhi, here is the ticket, here are the pictures I took on my mobile, here is my selfie in front of uh, um, uh, the, the Red, uh, Red Fort or, or no, not Red Fort, the, the uh, Parliament or something like that. When you wake up, none of it is true. So correspondence theory doesn't work. Alright, the Buddhist comes and says, no, it's not correspondence. What works is, they have a definition, functionality, they call it the pragmatic test of truth. In fact, William James in modern American philosophy, William James of pragmatism, uh, he says that uh, if it works, it's right, it's, it's true. Now suppose, mirage, you see a water there, but when you go and you see it's a mirage, it's not, it's not water, it's false. The Buddhist says that, if you go there and you try to drink that water, you will clearly see you cannot drink it, there is no water to be drunk there. It cannot quench your thirst. Hence, it's not real, it's false. If it was real water, you could have taken it in your hand, it would have been wet, you would have sipped it, would have quenched your thirst, would have fulfilled its function, would have had effects just the way it is supposed to have. It's a pretty deep theory of truth. It's a pragmatic test of truth. Sounds nice? Doesn't work. 
Why? Again dream. In a dream you have dream food, you eat it, you satisfy dream hunger. It works. But when you wake up, the whole thing was false. Okay. Now, what is the Vedantic theory then? By this time the Nayaika and the Buddhist will be saying, Okay, wise guy, what? give us your theory of the truth. Let's see if you can have a theory of the truth that works. There is a, the definition is Trikala Abhadhyatvam Satyatvam that which is not corrected in the three periods of time is real. What does it mean? You must never ever have the uh, correcting knowledge. Oh, what I knew was false. This is true. It was not a snake. It's a rope. It's not water. It's a mirage. In no period of time such a correcting knowledge should come. Then what you know is true. That which is not subject to correction is, is truth. Snake rope is subject to correction. Let me see if uh, the obvious objection anybody has. Yes. How, how can you bring time in reality when you say reality is beyond time space? Yes. Or let me put it this way. How do you know it won't be corrected in the future? In the, law, in the distant future you might just wake up from a dream also. Who knows? Then how, do you, how can you guarantee it won't be corrected? First of all, do you see formally, logically, technically it is a correct definition? Suppose you, I can guarantee, I will I'll show you the magic. I will guarantee that it cannot be corrected. Um, so, first of all, technically, formally, formally in the sense of logic, do you agree that it is, it's a good definition? If you can guarantee it will never be corrected? Yes. Okay, next. Give me the guarantee. I'll give you the best possible guarantee. According to this definition, there's only one thing that can never be corrected. What? Consciousness itself. Because all correction is in consciousness. That it is not consciousness, you will never get that kind of... Um, uh, the consciousness itself is false. It's not real. You'll never get that kind of uh, correction because that correction also will depend on consciousness being real. It will be revealed to a consciousness. Chaitanyam, it always has to be in consciousness. A simple thumb, a rule of the thumb is that which is unchanging in the past, present and future, in which time appears, that unchanging reality is the truth. If it's subject to change, it's false. More technically if you want it, it must be nothing other than consciousness itself, not subject to correction. Because correction means, it was not so. It is this. You will never have the uh, correction that it was not consciousness. It is this. If you have that correction, it must be in consciousness. So the only thing that survives this test of truth is consciousness itself. Okay, so that assumes I'll get knowledge at some point, right? If I'm ignorant, I, I always saw the snake, I continue to see the snake, huh. and I will see the snake. Yes. So it might give indication to me that there is unchanging truth. Huh. Huh. That's because of my ignorance. True, but what I said just now, is there a possibility of a correcting knowledge there? Yeah, once I get the knowledge. Yeah, yeah once you get the knowledge you will see. So about anything in the world, is there, there a possibility I'll wake up from a dream? Is there a possibility? Just a false possibility, a theoretical possibility. Yes. In the case of consciousness itself, your, the witness consciousness itself, there is no possibility of such a thing. Ipso facto. Hmm. 
paramarthika truth it's a if you can appreciate the logic behind it it's stunning there is nothing that can correct you i don't mean person i mean uh, vedanta is trying to correct you it's correcting our wrong knowledge that i am not brahman it can correct you but nothing that can correct you brahman with all correction all illusion all correction everything arises and disappears in consciousness yes No. No. Consciousness in itself does not have any knowledge either. Did you notice the knower, the known and the process of knowledge, the triputi, the triad, they arise in consciousness and disappear in consciousness just little while ago Shankaracharya defined drishti as that consciousness in which knower, known and knowledge arise and disappear. A related doubt might be, I'll quickly mention that and end. We can go on. but i'm glad it's caught fire this is you're thinking about it um if consciousness in itself does not have knowledge in fact bill asked this question today uh, consciousness without knowledge consciousness in itself cannot appreciate beauty consciousness in itself cannot do this or that so what good is brahman in itself it seemed to be it's like a it's like a void it's like emptiness in fact the buddhists call this very thing shunyata emptiness the void Swami Sarananda says what the Buddhists call shunyata the void we call purnam the the infinite or the full don't forget what we read just now consciousness in itself is not a knower but it itself manifests as maya and through maya as the knower as the universe as all beauty all action all enjoyment all suffering all knowledge all remembering all forgetting memory intellect everything arises from you the entire universe arises from you all beauty comes from you all knowledge comes from you all achievement comes from you every success and failure every um, fame and uh, humiliation uh, health and illness birth and death all are in consciousness and depending on consciousness consciousness is not poor consciousness is not you know bereft of these things rather these things do not exist without consciousness all the beautiful waves in the ocean all the surf all the bubbles they all depend on water water in itself is not a wave or a bubble or or uh, or the surf but they all depend on water gold in itself is not a necklace but every necklace in tiffany depends on the gold as long as it is gold so you are that on which the entire universe depends for its existence dream example again is very beautiful the dreamer's mind in itself is not the magnificent illusion of the dream but the magnificent illusion of the dream is nothing other than the dreamer's mind it depends entirely on the dreamer's mind you project the entire panoply of the dream similarly consciousness itself projects all of this so consciousness is rich is infinitely rich but the richness of consciousness is nothing other than consciousness itself through many names and forms producing this so we can go on talking about this but very good we are all on track same page om shanti 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 hari hi om tat sat श्री राम कृष्णा रूपणमस्तु